I think the best thing you can do with a steelhead is make your, your fly as predictable and vulnerable as possible. The mm. more times you do the same thing over and over and over again, as long as your fly is at current speed or slower, yeah. you steelhead have tremendous eyesight. They might see that fly the first time when the closest it comes to them is 30, 40, 50 feet away. Yeah. You know? But wow. they're studying it. They're aware of things around them. If they, they weren't aware of things around them, they'd be dead. That was Mark Bachman telling us how he thinks like a winter steelhead. Heading out on the river today, this is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Please uh, share this episode if you get a chance with one other person you think might love a few uh, bonus steelhead tips. Also, head over to wetflyswing.com slash members to join the member society and grab some bonus content. In today's episode, I talk with Mark Bachman, the guy who built Flyfish USA and spearheads the Sandy River Spayclave. Mark shares his strategy uh, if you sting a fish but don't get a hookup, what makes a fly vulnerable, and the cat and mouse analogy. We hear about what the top 10 spay clients do for Mark and the uh, Carl Perry influence. Don't miss this as we uh, talk about how we get stuck in a rapid early on in our trip uh, here on the river and uh, and what it felt like from uh, Mark's perspective. This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, an all-American creator of fine, sustainable fly fishing gear. Stay tuned later in the show to hear how Ross does his part with DLD to reduce waste and impacts as he builds great equipment in a sustainable fashion. You can find fresh equipment designs on Instagram at Deli Fresh Design, and you can get 20% off your next order using the coupon code WFS20 at delifreshdesign.com. So, without further ado, here's Mark Bachman from flyfishusa.com. Also, note that we're going to jump right into uh, Mark telling us what happened and how how we got stuck on a mid-channel boulder in the first rapid below uh, putting in the boat, not 10 or 15 minutes uh, from that point. So it's really, uh, we're going to let Mark take it away here, just jump right into it and, and get his perspective. Also note, uh, there is a video, um, you can watch this whole thing uh, on YouTube, so um, that'll be in the show notes as well. So do you want do you want to spl- explain in your own words for the uh, the camera what, what happened up there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd be glad to explain what happened. You know, that's why we normally get waiver release forms signed right there. So oh, there you go. What that basically what a waiver release says that no matter how stupid the guide is, he's not responsible for it. Exactly. So. Yep. Well, all on the air. I'm signing it for you right now, so don't you have to worry about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I've I've done this. I've been in that. Oh yeah, I know you. Have. So, so we, give me that. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> we got hung up in the pipeline hole in the Sandy River. It's 1,100 cubes today, which is really bony. And I went to turn the raft into the slot, and uh, what really happened there was that when I went to put my oar down, there was a rock about an inch under the surface that I didn't see, and I couldn't get a grip on the water. So then the tail end of the boat hit a rock and threw me more out of line, and then pretty quick, we turned around backwards and we're going down the river backwards and we hung up on a cluster of giant boulders. And my uh, faithful partner here, you know, was very much uh, responsible for getting us off. <laughs> so that's the true story from the guide himself, the guy rowing the boat that missed the turn. Nice work, wow. I... So what are we gonna do here? So we got this run. So the next thing, the next thing the guide is gonna do, is the guide is gonna get inside this box, he's gonna get out, the coffee jug and he's gonna pour himself a cup of coffee. And if this is an interview, I'm gonna sit on this seat because I'm tired from getting the boat off of the rock, yep. uh, which I only did about one third of, yep. honestly. But uh, nobody got hurt, boat didn't get hurt, no problem. Yep. We're back on the water and we're ready to go. We're there you go. first actual stop of the morning. I came down here last week, there was nobody on the water. You know, there's, as far as I know, there's no boats ahead of us now, 
but there was a cluster of guys around Dodge Park, you know, so we missed our first spot that I wanted to fish. But we're in a really good place right now, and we're going to have a cup of coffee. Your, uh, your interviewer is going to talk me into something, and I'm going to pour myself a cup of coffee and relax, and we're nice. just going to get this part of it done. We were spade casting with single hand rods and didn't even know we were doing it. I think largely on the influence of your father. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, a guy by the name of Carl Perry was the best caster, best roll caster, best single hand caster in our tribe. And he had actually taken some lessons from your dad, and he was a heck of a, heck of a fly caster. Wait, and I missed that. So Carl Perry, so because I remember my dad, he always, I always asked him, "Do you spay cast?" He said, "Yeah, I did a little spay or a little spay fishing." So you're saying Carl Perry learned? He didn't bring the spay thing to us, but he was a. We were we were spay casting, roll casting, spay casting, live roll casting with single hand. Oh, with single, yeah. And uh, gotcha. You know, and before yeah, I blew my elbow up, I ruined the tendons in my elbow. Mm. See, otherwise I'd probably still be using this uh, single-hand rod no spay casting today. But I went on a tarpon trip and I ruined my right elbow. And uh, so the two-hand fly rod really brought me back into the fly fishing game. That's amazing. That's a pretty cool story. I was going to say. But what I was going to say was that the Sandy River Spay and having all of these great instructors show up to do programs and stuff, the Sandy River Spayclave, you know, I learned a little bit from one guy and then I learned something else from yeah. another guy and so on and so forth. And, you know, and even at that, it took me a while. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm not a natural anything. I got to work twice as hard as most guys to accomplish mm -hmm. anything I want to do. So it, it I always start out really slow and then, you know, at some point the light comes on and I figure out how to do things. And now, and I like to simplify things. I think in spay casting, if a person can figure out where the anchor goes mm -hmm. and how to sweep around your anchor and maintain your anchor, get your D-loop tight, come forward and stop in a comparably straight line, I think you're going to get a decent spay cast out mm -hmm. of it. All these different kinds of spay casts, all those are setups. You know, a spay cast is basically a setup. It's a water-loaded cast, and the forward cast is like any other cast, pretty much. Yep. So, you know, you do a, a snap tee, it's a setup. You do a double spay, it's a setup. If you do a single spay, it's a setup. A snake roll is a, is a setup to get your anchor into that key position mm -hmm. to allow you to form your D-loop, keep your D-loop tight, and uh, accelerate against the friction of the D-loop, the weight of the D-loop, mm -hmm. and stop in a comparably straight line, you know, form your forward loop, and the thing just goes out there. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people want to make it really, really, uh, you know, complicated, but in the end, if you if you have tension on your D-loop, you load the rod against that tension, you come forward in a fairly straight line and stop, you're going to get a forward cast on it. Right. Yeah, there's some small stuff, yeah. of course. There's a lot of things you can do wrong, so mostly yeah. the things you talk about are the corrections. Right, I know. I think what I do wrong, well, we can talk about that later, but I just want to get back to the year. So first time you actually had two-handed spade rod was what year, roughly? When you first well, the first time I tried to use a two-handed fly rod was probably somewhere around 87 or 88. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, go back but, to the 80s. But having said that, yeah. there was nothing that happened that day that anybody would call a spake ass today, <laughs> believe me. Right. So, okay. So, so when, and then when do you start become where it's mostly spake? Um... Or is that well, of course, you know, the thing that made spay casting popular started spay casting in uh, North America was Trey, Trey Combs' book, you know, yep, yep. Fly Fishing for Steel. Exactly. It had a bunch of stuff in there about spay casting and yep. spay casters and so on and so forth. 
mostly from northern Washington and British Columbia. And uh, so that allowed the general public to know it could be done and that it was an asset. So, so that's 87. So you kind of go and Trey's book. So when is the Spayclave? What year is that? Do you, that started in 2000. 2000. And then you took it over right in that period. There was like a year of Spayclave. Yeah, basically. Okay. Basically <sighs> took it over in, in 2000. Okay. So 2000s. Gotcha. All right. So well, the last one was the 19th one in 2019. Okay. All right. Perfect. Well, we got a, a bunch of other stuff, but I think we can, uh, anything else you want to add to the history of, uh, I mean, I got a bunch of questions about the shop and stuff, but I think it's, we can talk about Let's that. Go as get we go. Some fish. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So what do we, uh, what do we got here for lines? This is the next, the next thing. What's our, we got a, some sort of a skagit with a, a All right. head on it. So this is simply a tip, a sinking tip. This is called a flow tip. Comes from the Airflow company, and you know, Airflow flow tip. It's copied after the Mo tip, McCune O'Donnell and Ward tip oh, yeah. from Rio. So they couldn't call it a Mo tip, so they called it a flow tip. Oh man! You know, there you if go. one person does something pretty cool in this industry, <laughs> it lasts about five minutes before somebody else is yep. copying it, and knocking it off. Wow! But the flow tip does have a certain advantage. Now this one here is uh, seven and a half feet of T14 and two and a half feet of intermediate. intermediate. And it has this intermediate, which is fairly large in diameter. And uh, so it transitions the energy from the fat skagit head oh. to the skinny sinking tip, probably a, a little more economically than say just a straight piece of yep. t14 or t11 sinking tip line. there you go so there you go that's it so then uh, my my interviewer here claims to be a newbie at the spay casting thing so i'm putting on a fairly short tip that i'm going to put on this outfit i'm going to take a 12 and a half foot one off and put a 10 foot one on there just so it'll make it easier on him and it'll probably make it easier on his instructor as well. So yeah, there you all, go. all right, perfect. Rods, of course, always break. Well, the guy's playing the giantest fish in the world. Oh, that's right, yeah. You know? And even if it says, you know, in the mashed part, it says Vibram right in the, in the graphite, <laughs> they're still going to say it broken. I know, I know. That's the, the, yep. Okay, so you want to do tips. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, let's see so, what we got here. One of the tips is when you take your rod apart, you get done fishing, and you put it in a rod reel case, it's like putting your money in the bank. That's this it. is a very inexpensive insurance policy. And when you take the rod out of the case, which I'm going to do here in a second, I'm going to put this, this rod case back in a waterproof bag. You know, so it can ride in the back of the boat here, and I don't have to dry it all out when I get home that's a, tonight. That's a good tip, actually. Yeah, you... Yep. Unfortunately, it's a really good that tip. Harding, Harding rod reel case is no longer made, but there are good rod reel cases out uh -huh. there. Sage makes some really good ones. Okay. And, uh, and I think that's about the size of what's out there right now. It's a great bag. Uh, Okay, now, so I've taken, yeah. taken my rod out of the rod reel case, okay, and it's all folded up. I folded it all up when I put it away. So I'm going to unfold it, and I'm going to bring the pieces around so the male and the female parts will go together easy. When you put a rod together, always put the two upper sections together first. I gotta pull some line off this reel here. Mm -hmm. Which only goes to prove me talking and doing something at the <laughs> same time is difficult. So take the top two sections, put them together first. And the reason will become apparent here in a little bit. Put it together a little bit off center and Mm. and twist it together. Nice. Then 
take those two pieces and sight down the guides. Now, if the guides are straight when you put your rod together and you're fishing, you're always looking down, down your rod when you're fishing. And if you see something that isn't straight anymore, you know you got a loose ferrule. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the main reasons that you put everything together straight mm. in the beginning. That way you can tell easily yeah, whether things are still connected properly because if the, the guides are all lined up, they are connected properly. Now, the reason that we did that, started from the tip, is right here. Look at this. I got the, the rod go. handle in my hand. And I can sight right down that with the reel. Now, a couple things, a couple things happen here. One of them being that if the guides are all straight, the line flows through the straight guides with less friction than it does around any kind of a bend. Of course, as you're casting and playing fish and all that kind of stuff like that, your rods always bend anyway, but if the guides are lined up, they create less friction than if they're not lined up. Mm -hmm. So yep. that, my That's friend, it. is tip number one. That's a great one. Tip number two, buy the good stuff. Okay. You deserve it. <laughs> Always buy the best you can afford because you get what you pay for. And if you pay for the good stuff, then you have it for years and you get really used to using it and you get really good with it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing better than something that's proven. The newest and the Gucciest stuff is not always proven. You know, a reel like this was spent, you know, one year with this reel on the water. I know that it's bulletproof. Hmm. In a year's fishing, I probably used this reel uh, uh, 60 days. And, uh, you know, which is probably more days an average guy would use a reel in maybe four or five years. So, if it says sage on it, you can believe in it. Hmm. So sage, and that's a 13-foot rod? This is a 13-foot, seven-weight Sage X. Okay, Sage X. And then Sage... And then yeah. this line here is a 525-grain Real Max Skagit Short. Okay. So it it uh, has a, a lot of weight in a, in a short length. Gotcha. Now... Since uh, your interviewer there is kind of professes to be a newbie at this spay casting thing, which I don't totally well, believe. Well, a, a newbie, I've, I've been doing it for 10 years, but I've never had instruction other than videos. <laughs> okay, well, so, uh, who knows? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll know pretty quick about yeah. where, where it needs to go yeah. from here. And, and this is my, we're starting on my, bat, my, my tougher side. I'm better on the other side of the river, so this, is, this will be good. But it should be the same, right? I should be able to cast effectively. We'll see. I'm well, yeah, there's some casts that work better for a right-hander on one side of the river than the other. You get over the other side, maybe you use a different cast. Yeah. But, you know, good, the best fly casters learn how to cast with either hand. That's right. So, That's right, and I haven't done that. Now, i got to admit, after having made that statement, that I'm not really good with my left hand. And the reason I'm not really good with my left hand is basically the same reason that most right-handers aren't good with the their uh, left hand is because I'm just too lazy to practice. That's right. Because, you know, I could become ambidextrous if I just worked at it a lot harder. Yeah, yeah that's right. The fly line wants to go in a straight line. The fly line will go in a straight line if you allow it to. The only reason the fly line will not go in a straight line is because you do not allow it to. So, the human body is really neat because it has all these vertebrae in the neck, which allows a person to actually look and see what their D-loop is doing. And that works something like this. Follow your D-loop around, watch your cast through the entire cast, you'll automatically find out where the slack is, you'll automatically remove that slack and make everything work better. How's that work with your, um, with your clients? You pretty much have uh, just a set. I mean, you got a set guys that come back every year. Are you, are you getting new clients all the time? Well, people come and go. Yeah. People get divorces. Right. People move. Yep. People go to the hospital. You know, people have cancer. People have this. People have that. 
you know, uh, uh, on and on and on. So, you know, there's a certain amount of changeover. Yeah. Plus, you know, I'd like to tell you I got the warmest, fuzziest personality in the world, but I don't. You know, so, yeah. you know, I, I've been known to offend people. All right. Well, that just goes to show you, you should. should never try to use humor. See, it's always when I'm trying to use humor yeah. or when I'm telling a story that I offend something. No kidding. You know, no kidding. Take, That's they funny. They take it personal. They put themselves in the picture. They think the guy's chewing on them when they're yeah. just trying to, you know, they're not even in the picture at all. I'm just trying to give them, give them an example. Right. You know, and suddenly, you know, suddenly they think they are the example. So. Are there any guides? Uh, are there many guides on this river? I'm, like, there's only a couple or a few, right? Or are there a lot? Half a dozen. Half a dozen. Really good ones. Yeah. Good fly fishing yeah. guides. Do you know all those guys pretty well? Oh, yeah. I raised yeah. most of them. Yeah. <laughs> most of them have worked for me at one time or another. Oh, no kidding. Okay. That's cool. It's cool, except sometimes they're in your favorite starting spot. That's right. Yeah. You teach. they can see better in the morning because they're younger. Yep. Yeah. So you teach. They, they, they're under you, and then they go off on their own, and then you turn around, and a year later, they're, they're in front of you. Yeah. Well, I try and keep it in perspective. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether they think so or not, or I don't even know if they're trying to keep it in perspective or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. When you're fishing winter steelhead, how often do you get, you know, this time of year, do you get a fish where, you know, on the Deschutes, of course, you get crazy touches and stuff, but here, yeah, do you, same here. Same here. Yeah. So you get some touches and... Yeah, it's more difficult here, though, because you're fishing... Heavier. ...sinking tip line, yeah. and you don't know whether you touched a rock or, the or bottom. not. You know, it... Yep. It takes a quite a bit of experience to really realize what the difference might be sometimes. But yeah, and what do you do when you get one of those? Yep. You throw exactly that same cast out there and see if he's still there. And a lot of times those fish will move upstream. So what I try to do is uh, um, get out of the water, walk back upstream at least 30 feet, hmm. start all over again. There you go. You know, and... Uh, you know, try and figure out where he went to or whether he's more in the mood or whatever. If it was a really good solid touch and I didn't sting him or something, I didn't jerk on him or yep. something, then I might change flies, smaller, mm -hmm. darker, more more somber looking fly and mm -hmm. go do it again. There you go. Uh, you know, the guy might ask what the average is, but there isn't any. You know, sometimes fish just comes up and kind of smooches the fly to see what it is didn't taste like something he wanted to grab a hold of he's done mm -hmm. he's wandering around or he just settled back in the river and he's not interested in hitting anything sometimes they come up you know and he smooches the fly and he think it's in their territory or whatever and, and the fly gets away from them they think maybe if steelhead actually do think mm -hmm. and uh you know the next time the fly comes down into their territory again they're ready to fight hmm. you know they, they grab yep. hard right uh, so give them a little sometimes a nice little break doesn't hurt yeah, i like to get right back after okay them. yeah i like to get back after them before they decide that think, yeah, yeah. they're just going to move up the river a quarter of a mile yep. or something like that yep. okay you never know what they're going to do they got a mind of their own yeah you know if you if you want to know about steelhead try and train your favorite house cat <laughs> you know they basically do whatever they want to do oh, yeah i mean you could drag a, uh, a string past them, and they'll grab it six times in a row, and then they just lose interest in it. They're bored with it or whatever. Yeah. They, huh. They're not going to do it again. And sometimes they just want to sleep. They're not going to grab the string no matter what. So so that's a pretty decent comparison, the cat to a steelhead. I've never heard of that one. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it may or may not be. Yeah. It's theoretical. There's no way to prove any of this stuff, really, yeah. except... Probably the provable rules are probably only two. You know, actual provable, hard, written in stone kind of rules. You can't catch a fish unless you got your fly in the water. That's right. Now that's fairly provable. Even if you got the wrong fly in the wrong place and you're fishing it wrong, you probably have a better chance than a guy doesn't have the fly in the water. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. The other thing is you can't catch a fish you can't reach. So good casting skills, mm -hmm. you know, just allow you to fish more river and be so, more, more consistent. So I hear when we look across, there's a that white tube on the other side. If you're fishing through this runner, are you are you trying to cast towards, you know, get close to that, or are you, you kind of hitting more middle of the river on this run? 
that's something I never tell you with that camera turned on. <laughs> all right, all right, it's true. Yeah, yeah that's right. All right that's so, true. You yeah. know, I'm not going to give you away. Uh, the, the, on your the, typical, let's just do a theoretical. So your typical run, how do you know where the the deep slot is? Is it better? Do you just start? Well, the fish aren't always in the deep slot. Yeah. Or well, how do you know where the buckets are? I mean, I guess you just have to fish it. you got to cover the water if you don't it's, know. you got her, buddy. you got to fish it, yeah. it changes all the time. And That's the right. fish, you know, every fish is, a, is an individual critter. Yeah. You know, I mean, some fish are big and drawly and ornery. And they're just ready to bite or fight no matter what. Yeah. Big bucks especially. Seem like huh. you know, they're grabbier than the than the hens are. And, you know, they're ready to impose their will on a territory. Especially mm. bigger fish are ready to run smaller fish out of their territory. Yeah. You know. And but, you know, remember all the kids you went to high school with? Oh yeah. 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 Well, some of them were really energetic and they really you know, they really had a lot of energy. Yeah. You know, and they were they were aggressive in mm -hmm. a lot of things that they did. Other people were just, you know, passive. Right. Didn't didn't have any muscle, didn't have any aggression, didn't have any anything. Yeah. Slept through class every chance That's they right. had. That's right. How which which one were you more like? Uh probably towards the first example. Yeah, really. You know, I'm probably more aggressive. Yep. You know, that's that's been one of my problems huh. in life is is you know, I see life basically as like casting with a spay rod. Okay, now your average guy, if he's got a problem, he just figures that more muscle will cure it, which is usually exactly the wrong thing to do with a spay rod mm -hmm. is apply more muscle. And uh, you know, I think that's why the gals learn it a little quicker because they are more oh, no more kidding. apt to try and learn technique and apply technique rather than overpower something mm -hmm. and life is kind of like that you know my my problem if i got if i had one you know is that you know, i just tried to overpower lots of stuff sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't work but it never made friends it never made allies right you know and and yeah. being able to be real aggressive with steelhead well the guy that gets to the run first and gets through the run first probably catches fish that have been rested Mm -hmm. That's probably an advantage, but you know, fishing all the water systematically and methodically is probably a good plan as mm -hmm. well. You mm -hmm. know, which doesn't take a lot of aggressive; it just takes a bunch of stick to it. You yeah. know, and it takes thinking about it. I think the best thing you can do with a steelhead is make your your fly as predictable and vulnerable as possible. The mm -hmm. more times you do the same thing over and over and over again, as long as your fly is at current speed or slower, yeah. You know, the more predictable you make the fly. What do you mean by vulnerable? Like broadside, or what, what's your what's no, what's your definition of vulnerable? One. Just I mean, making it a, making it consistent. Yeah. Anything in nature that does things consistently the same all the time is vulnerable. All right. You take right. you go gotcha. back to your house cat. Yep. They say you got two mice in the house, and one of them is. Uh, you know, comes out of the wall at 2.30 every afternoon, runs across the sink board, munching around and all that kind of stuff. You know, by 3 o'clock, it runs across the living room. You know, the cat's laying on the back of the couch, and he's watching the mouse all the time. He may, may not attack right then, or, you know, but mm -hmm. after he sees a, this routine several times, he's going to set up an ambush, right. you know. Well, then the other mouse doesn't have a routine. It's in the attic one day. It's in the basement the next. It's... You know, and maybe it pulls the same routine as the first mouse, you know, but only once. You know, it's unpredictable. It's really hard to catch. Mm -hmm. So the cat is a lot less interested in the second mouse than the first one. Yep. And I think you come down through a piece of water and your fly is swinging at the same speed and same depth. Jane, when I say depth, I mean distance from the bottom. Mm -hmm. Every cast, you come through there. These steelhead have tremendous eyesight. They might see that fly the first time when the closest it comes to them is 30, 40, 50 feet away. Yeah. You know? But wow. they're studying it. They're aware of things around them. If they, they weren't aware of things around them, they'd be dead. Yeah. You know? And, and they probably say, oh, yeah, well, there's, there's something. Right. You know? But the second time, it's maybe a little closer, but it's doing exactly the same thing at uh -huh. exactly the same speed. And then... The next cast, it's three feet closer, doing exactly the same thing. You know, and the fly is just coming to them. Yep. So they're laying there, 
you know, watching that fly come across, come across, come across, come across, you know. So by the time the fly gets in the strike zone, it's predictable. Yeah. And you've jacked them up. You've pre-sold your right. product, right. you know, how many casts in a row. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I figured out by watching clientele. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, a company that makes sustainable fly fishing gear in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Deli Fresh blends old waders and recycled sailcloth with Cordura canvas to make rugged, river-tested gear such as fly wallets, sling packs, and my favorite, beer koozies. I had a great chat with Ross at Deli Fresh as I was blown away by his dedication to fly fishing and conservation. Here's a short clip of how Ross reduces waste with his personal actions and as a responsible company. But as a company, I'm trying to reduce my impact uh, by riding a bike or taking uh, the bus or shared uh, shared cars, stuff like that, on uh, for commuting. And then, you know, yeah, when I go fishing, I, I'll get in a car, but I, I try to go with other people. And, and so I think there's things that as consumers that we can do on a daily basis. My own mentality of doing those things on a daily basis, like driving or, or riding a bike, uh, and then trying to see what uh, what materials I can use that reduce waste or what I'm trying to do as a person and as a company. Pretty good stuff, right? Let's support a great company doing business the right way. All of DFD's gear will help you spend more time casting and less time juggling your stuff. To see these great products, go follow them on Instagram where you can see their latest designs. Head over to delifreshdesign.com and use the coupon code WFS20 to get 20% off your next order. That's Deli Fresh Design and the coupon code WFS20. In my 30 years, I figure I've guided somewhere around 600 people for steelhead. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I figure that, that 200 of them probably caught more than the other 400 of them. But quite frankly, Probably 400 of them didn't catch very much. Right. And they probably didn't have much of a chance. They didn't have the casting skills. They didn't have the waiting skills. Or they couldn't listen. Or they were just just ornery. They didn't want to do what the guide told them and so on and yeah. so forth. Or they just weren't lucky. Sure. You know, maybe they only came one time and it just was a time the river wasn't doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. There wasn't very many fish around. Maybe they cast great, but they just weren't lucky. But if you took the other 200... They probably all connected with a fish. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's about one third of the people that probably started, you know, thinking about catching the steelhead with a fly. Probably had whatever it took to be somewhat successful. Now, if you took that 200, there's probably 50 of them that caught more than the other 150. If you took that 50, there's probably 10 people that caught more than the other 40. That's not exactly like the Navy SEAL deal, yeah. but it's it's getting kind sure, of close sure. to the same same process, the process of elimination. Now, there's some guys that every time they got in my boat, I knew that I had two jobs. That was netting fish and taking pictures. Really? Okay. Huh. And every time. Yeah. You know, I mean. Crazy. And it kind of kind of became a routine yeah. that I would I ask myself. Now, why are these 10 yeah. people so much more productive than the other 590? Why is that? Why was it? Because the consistency that I was talking about. Because they were consistent. They, they cast, they're mechanical at going through a piece yeah. of water. They're able yeah. to pump these non-biting fish up. A steelhead doesn't yeah. have to bite. They're right. not really feeding or anything. you got to make it extremely easy for them by making your fly extremely predictable. Yeah. So and those then, are the best... Casters is one thing. Those people, those ten, that they and they were just very systematic and good waiter and just could cover the water. And of course, they were all experienced. Yeah. Because of their skills, they could already caught a bunch of steelhead when right. they came the first yep. time. Yeah. Probably. Right. You know, but you know, on the other hand, you know, they all thought that maybe I knew something about it. They didn't really realize that they were probably, you know, their experience and their determination and whatever. Yeah. Really made me look good. Huh. So now, so now, when you see me out there for the first run, wh- what does it uh, make you think of with, when we have the rest of the day ahead of us? Like we, I might... didn't watch you. Oh, okay, good. All right, good. No, I went fishing. All right, good. All right, we'll so see. I, I have no idea. Right. Every time I did look down at what you were doing, it looked to me like you were somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Game, I was, but I wasn't standing alongside of you, you know, saying, 
well, I think you should have done yeah. this, or I think you should do this, or, yeah. or something like this, or think about this, or whatever. Felt, I felt good. It, it, like normally I get out there and I think I get a little tired or something, and I, I pile up a bad cast every once in a while, or more than every once in a while. Oh, yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Everybody wants to be perfect, but you know, everybody's a work in progress. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I went to Sandy River Spake Lake and you watched all these magnificent casters put on, mm -hmm. you know, programs. Undoubtedly, you thought some of them were better than others. Uh, or they did something that was more interesting to you than the others did. Uh, but every one of those guys, no matter what you've seen, every one of those guys has their off and on time, too. Mm. Not to the degree no. that a lot of other people sure. do. And even when they're off, they're probably better than a lot of oh, them. Yeah. The average guy is even when they're not as good as that's they right. want to But they have their off days, too, so that's good to know. Well, that's right. Everybody has. Yeah. No matter what you do, you have, I don't know, some people call it biorhythms or yeah. whatever. Some days you're the goat and some days you're a god. Yeah. You know, huh. and, and what determines all of that is, what is it? Focus. Yeah. Uh, maybe you just naturally feel better some days than you do on others. Uh Maybe your neurons are firing better on some days than others. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you, maybe you got out there and you started out by getting a good night's sleep and so on and so forth right. and being relaxed about what's going on and mm -hmm. whatever. And maybe your guide maybe you, maybe you feel relaxed. Yeah. Or maybe not. Right. That's, you know, whatever. Great. Companionship makes a lot of difference, a lot of difference in influence. Mm. The guy doesn't even realize it. Some guys stimulate you to do good and some guys just make you grouchy all day mm. you know mm -hmm. i notice myself if i'm following somebody that's a really good caster my casting picks up no kidding yeah huh. everybody's a natural mimic if i'm following somebody that just is having a heck of a hard time yeah sometimes i got to turn away from them or my my casting will start to mimic them to huh. some degree so who is your uh you know when you got into your mentor or did you have any mentors any people that helped you uh you know i guess if you could look at the spay or i mean you said you kind of taught yourself what about just fly fishing did you pick that up yourself too oh uh, yeah but i was really little I, mean, I grew up on a cattle ranch in northern idaho that had a premium trout stream oh, oh so you started yeah had trout in it at times that were you know they were lake run rainbows they i grew up in the ponderay lake drain uh, yeah. you know where trout over 20 pounds were not that uncommon you know and especially in a 50s and 60s Jeez. and uh, uh, so you know I grew up I didn't realize it was any anything special I just thought that's the way the world was <laughs> you know and and uh, so I grew up with a mile and a half of stream that was basically all private mm -hmm. there was uh, there were three guys that came in there they'd fished it since they were kids my dad had to put up a bunch of lock gates and stuff because people drive around our hay fields and do all kinds but of stupid you were, stuff. Your dad so, was a farmer? Or huh? Your dad was a farmer? Or what? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we raised cattle. Okay. And huh. uh, um, so he put up these lock gates, but he, he realized that these three guys, they fished together, and he realized that he could trust them, and he just gave them each a key and said, don't, don't, you know, the three of you guys can come here anytime you want to, do whatever you want, don't bring anybody with you. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of as gratitude, you know, the older guy, you know, kind of took me under his wing, showed me a little bit. I don't know whether he was an instructor or not, but, you know, he started out, let me go down the stream first, go ahead of him, you know, and then he come along behind me and catch all the fish. <laughs> and uh, by about the time I was 12 or 14, oh, I didn't yeah. work that good anymore, though. Yeah, so, so your dad wasn't a big fly fisherman? No, he was not. No. Gotcha, that's cool. Yeah. So you had some guy that just was... Yeah, I, I was born with a fishing gene. Yeah. You know, it was something I was interested in the time that I, you know, I'd pick up a Sears and Roebuck catalog and I'd automatically turn to the sporting, the sporting goods section, no you kidding. know, and I'd, I'd be into that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, just for something to do, huh. something to learn about. I had one uncle, one of my dad's brothers was kind of into fly fishing, you know, and he'd send me some hooks and stuff. Sure. You know, my grandmother bought me a fly tying vice. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd go raid the chicken coop or <laughs> my mother's embroidery yeah. box or whatever, you know. And, nice. and that's how I started out tying flies. And, you know, the, the first flies that I tied, nobody would recognize them as flies except for me. They were mm -hmm. just fuzz on the hook, you know. Yep, yep. So, 
Wow. So when did the uh, the shop? When did that all come to be? I can't. When was the? We opened our doors on our first store, uh, April twenty first, nineteen eighty one. Eighty one. And what? Uh, you know, how did you get to that point? Go from, you know, the whole shop. How did that? You, that? you was well, that always the plan? Started out with, you know, I was. I started out, you know, growing up on a on a cattle ranch. You know, we had various kinds of equipment and that kind of stuff, and and that seemed to be my forte was was running tractors and different stuff and and uh so you know when i moved out why well, you know i gravitated towards that kind of stuff so by the time i got to oregon i was in construction and demolition mm -hmm. running heavy equipment and you know doing anything that people would pay money for mm -hmm. and uh, i moved to oregon i came down my folks sold a cattle ranch i stayed up you know, for a while longer in Northern Idaho. I came down to visit for Christmas in 1964. So I got to oh. Oregon about six days in front of the 1964 oh, flood. That's right. Yeah. Dang. So, wow. you know, there was so much work here after oh, all yeah. the destruction from those the big floods Jeez. that uh, uh, I just moved here. Oh, wow. And I did flood damage control and that kind of stuff like that. Yeah, I went to work for the U.S. Forest Service running heavy equipment for them for a while. So you ran an excavator or something like that? Yeah, I ran caps and okay. graders and, yeah. and backhoes and yep. front-end loaders and, you know, that kind of stuff like that. Uh, you know, I built roads. I helped build bridges. I, you know, maintained stuff, whatever whatever the job sure, was, whatever sure. they needed some kind of a heavy equipment operator for or dump truck driver or whatever. That's what I did. <laughs> and uh, then I... I don't know. I got tired of working for the government. Yeah. You know, and uh, there wasn't much imagination involved in working for the government, yeah. so I wanted to do something different. And about that time, a friend of mine was, he was in the scrap metal business, and we we uh, went around the Mount Hood National Forest because I'd seen all this obsolete logging equipment, you know, big yarders and, you know, big oh, shovels right. and stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and he says, you know, we could get all that stuff. He knew a lot of them logging outfits and said, we could get that stuff and cut it up for scrap and there's probably money in that. So I think it, it peaked, I think before we even started, we had like a 20 pieces and the smallest was maybe 40 tons. And uh, so we scrapped out all that stuff, made really good money at that, hit it just right. When we started out, prepared scrap was $18 a ton. By the time we got done with the first piece of it, the uh, price of prepared scrap had jumped to $65 a ton. Jeez. And we just made a killing on it. And then then I went through a divorce. Yeah. And uh, I got custody of my four children. Uh-huh. And uh, I couldn't have a job where I had to take anything home. So I went to work for an outfit, you know, in Portland to cut up ships because I had that scrap metal background mm -hmm. and knew how to use a cutting torch and all that stuff real good and uh, they went on strike and you know, I wasn't going to pack around a, uh, you know, some kind of a picket thing for a job like that the woman that I'm, I'm with I'd met her about that time she had a house down on the coast that needed repair she'd had her rented out and needed some repair so we went down there and fixed it up and they gave me a little while to think about things and I thought you know I want to get into sporting goods business I mm -hmm. want to do something I want to do rather than what I have to do so I went to work for Larry Schoenborn hmm. and I what year was that that would have been 1974 okay and I worked for Larry until 1979 and then a guy offered me a job building houses which was really good for a while and then we hit the 1979 oh, session, yep. you know, and Dang. basically I lost a bundle there. Yeah. And uh, huh. so I couldn't get a job, you know, everything. Wow. In the, and you're supporting, you have four kids at home. That's right. And you're out well, of work. By that time I had six because Patty had two. Wow. So we were raising six kids together. This was Pat, oh yeah. And That's Patty. the same, Patty, the same, okay. same girl. I'm yeah. still with, you know, 40 some years later. Wow. And, uh, I said, you know, I always wanted to have a fly fishing specialty shop. You know, I think we're going to tie the first inventory of flies right here on this dining room table until we figure out what the hell to do with them. Yeah. So, you know, the kids got into it. 
you know, some of them did, some of them didn't, of course. Uh -huh. And, you know, found a, a little building that was cheap, a friend of mine. Where owned. was that at? In Welch's? It was Welch's? right in between Tavern right there in Welch's. Oh, okay. And uh, in between Tavern doesn't exist anymore, but that building still does. It's a sushi place now. Oh, yeah, the sushi place. Yeah, so yeah. we took that over. It was like $35 a month. There was a hole about two feet in diameter in the roof. <laughs> it had been a Sears and Roebuck tip-up. Went in there with the same guys that I'd been building houses with, you know, and, and uh, completely rebuilt that place on the inside and yeah. turned it into, you know, uh, you know, open open ceiling and all that kind of oh, stuff wow. like that. Put some insulation in it, you know, all that stuff. Huh. And, uh, you know, that's where that... How long were you there at that place, though? Yeah, we were there five, six years. Five years, and then you moved to the new where you're five at now. Five years. We were there five years. And we moved up to the shopping center. Oh, that's right. You're at the shopping we center. We moved up there in 86, and then we moved to the building we got now in 2000. Yep. Okay. So you've been there almost 20 years now. Yeah, 19 years. Huh. Yeah. Uh, what, what's been the, the hardest thing about your business over the years, the fly fishing business? Well, same as any business. Business is easy until you got to make a profit. The hardest thing to do in business is making a profit. Yeah. That's why a lot of people work for the government because they never figured out how to make a profit. That's right. You know, that's the reason they work for, for uh, non-profit organizations because then all you got to do is get somebody to, Start some kind of a deal where people donate to it, and yep. then you then don't you have make to make a profit. A profit. That's right. So all that stuff is easy. Yeah. So you how know? do you make a profit? What's the what's the tip for somebody that wants to get into the fly fishing business and is struggling making a profit? Is there is there nothing? Any... Well, I give the same same tip to anybody who wants to get into anything. It's something I never did that I really regretted. Go to college. Really. Get an education. You no, know. No look, kidding. Yeah. Get get with people that know something about what goes on, how to avoid mistakes and that kind of stuff. I've wasted as much money as I've made yeah. just through stupid mistakes. Sure. So you think if you would have gone to college and got a business degree, that'd be different now? Or you that would have helped you? Oh, I have no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, you know, a guy's got an education, you can talk to bankers and that kind of stuff a yeah. lot different. You That's can right. you you get an education on how to assess profits and losses and that kind of stuff. You know I got into business with a high school education. Yeah. Uh, I was really good in sciences and that kind of stuff like that when I went to school, but I never studied business. No. My dad, my dad uh, did okay, you know, but he never made a lot of money. Yeah, and he knew how to hang on to it though. Yeah, you know, but uh, uh, I didn't get the agricultural gene, and I didn't get the hanging no, on. No, the money you got the fishing gene. gene. So you got the fishing gene. Yeah, so that's cool. Oh, that's a, that's quite a story. I didn't realize you guys have been. Uh, so many shops over the year, a few, yeah. Well, I figured this way. You know, I could have spent a bunch of money getting an education. Yeah. Or I could have wasted three times as much money by not getting an education. You know, I tell everybody that comes to work for me, young guys, yeah. want to be a fishing guide or something. Yeah, that's great. Make that decision after you get an education. Yeah. You know, because a blue-collar guy this in this era doesn't happen. Yeah, you're dead meat. No, yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta have yep. some papers that tell somebody that you know something about right. what they need. Yeah. So the person, if they're, if they got it, they they want to get into a fly shop or they want to start the fly. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, who I'm thinking of is uh, is Jason at the Portland Fly Shop, and I'm not sure what his background is, but he was, I think he was working at Northwest. Outfitters, right? The fly yeah, shop. Yeah, he's a likable guy. He came. To, I don't know much about Jason, but I don't either. But you know, but he's a likable guy. Yeah, I, I take to Jason. You yeah, know, he's, he seems like he's a smart guy. Yep. And I think he's probably got a natural work ethic. Yeah. And that kind, yep. kind of stuff. I would. I don't know him, but I would bet that he's a pretty reliable guy. Yep. Oh yeah, I bet he is too. So, I bet he is too. Um, what, what advice would I give yeah. him? Yeah, but he's he's trying to get going, right? He's he's got a new shop. I mean, yeah, yeah he is, and, and maybe he'll make it. And there were a lot of shops. Why did so? It was the crash. The two thousand eight was it? That, that was bad. That was hard on oh, some of the shops. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That, and we were we were flying high. We yeah. were making. You know, I was I was taking you know a, a destination vacation every quarter. No kidding. Yeah. Like, wow. We'd go to Belize or we'd go to you know yeah. we'd go someplace. Right. You know. And I've been all over fly fishing because of that. Yeah. And you know and you know manufacturers loved us. Everybody loved us. Yeah. You know, 
it makes a lot of difference whether you can pay your bills on time with whether people that's love right, you. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it does. I mean, you either got to have a, a backer. Yeah. And we started out with nothing. Right. Yeah. You just built your own. And uh, yep. our, our business is built on guts. That's right. Basically. Yeah. And what advice would I give a young guy? That's a tough question. It is. It's. Yeah, but it still comes. Oh, well, here's here's one for you. Think about that a little bit. What advice would you give to yourself when you were 25? If you think back, I'm not sure where you're at when you were 25. No, by the time I was 25, yeah. I already had a couple of kids. Really? So, yeah. would you, do you have any advice for that person? Oh, Jesus, that gets into all kinds of political and oh, does it? Okay, we don't stuff <laughs> all, all that. We stuff. don't have to but, go there. Then. But you know. Probably the first and most important decision after getting an education that you'll ever, mm -hmm. you know, that you'll ever come up against. And be careful who you sleep with. Oh, you know, be careful right. who you marry. Right. Be careful that kind of relationships that you make because if you make it wrong, it'll yeah. devastate you. So that's a good segue because I wanted to ask you about Patty, who, who forty years, forty some, forty years. some years. What's the How'd you get lucky enough to run? Because you guys have a really, um, she comes with you. I mean, she's been there by your side the whole time, right? How, how have you, how do you find such an amazing uh, person? I didn't. She did it all. Did she? Yeah. Even, even for a while, you know, even when she was making herself convenient, I couldn't really see her that much. You know, I was looking for something flashy with high heels and lipstick. And all right, kind of right. Stuff, which is exactly what got me the first one. No kidding. No <laughs> yeah, kidding. Right, so, right. You know, it, yeah. it, I don't necessarily need all of that stuff out there. Yeah. You know, and, and that's as far as I'm going to go with it. Yeah. But, but the advice is the same. Yeah. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to get yourself tied up, yep. which everybody eventually does, make sure make good first choice. and foremost that there's somebody that's reliable, you know, that they're, they're actually on your side. Right. You know, so don't fight too hard to get yourself in trouble. Gosh, all right. <laughs> we missed anything as far as the Sandy River fishing uh, steelhead wise? We've uh... only about uh, ninety-seven point three percent. Yeah, this is but about how you going to tell it all. This is about awesome. That's right. Yeah, yeah we've. Uh, well, would the, you if you could? No, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we've got the important stuff in. But it's been good. Yeah, there's been a couple fish out there and. It's, uh, it's been awesome. I mean, the tips you gave me on the standing up straight, that was huge. And then, uh, and relaxing. That might be the best tip that I haven't really talked about much, but relaxing. I and mean, that's what happens. You get stiff and then you start. So I'm going to remember those for sure. Those are the big ones. And but, uh, but for fishing wise, if we, I mean, we covered, it's basically, you got the rod, we covered that, the line, the flies, the leader tippet, you're doing about a three foot leader of 20 pound. Is that what, it, or, uh. Yeah, 20-pound fluorocarbon is what we're using today. That's a little heavier than what I normally use for steelhead fishing. Yep. But, uh, but you know, when I went to British Columbia and fished the Dean River, and the guides automatically, they just put on four foot of 20-pound test. Yeah. 20-pound test. And, uh, yep. Those they, are big fish. Yeah. Some of them are. Yeah. Um, they all pull hard. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. do these. I, I find the Dean River in many ways comparable to the Sandy River here in Oregon, huh. except the Dean where I was fishing it is a lot faster, has a lot more velocity. Oh, okay. So how are you just using longer T14s and more weight? More, uh... Yeah, the fish hold in faster, faster water oh, wow. on the Dean than they do in this. Uh -huh. Because they have to, I think. Yeah. And we were right above tidewater as well. Oh, right. Yeah, they're hot. So, yeah, every fish that I caught there was had long tail sea lice on it. Yep, yep. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, and I've only caught one steelhead on this river had sea lice. No on kidding. It, and that was 20 miles upstream of here. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that fish was really moving. Or is that, is that up above Marmot? It was just right below Alder Creek. Oh, okay. Yeah, sea lice. That's always good to see. Is that, yeah, I guess that's more of a coastal thing. Yeah, sea lice apparently drop off of fish about 48 hours after they're mm. in fresh water. Mm -hmm. That's what I heard. That's that's not a scientific statement. Sure. That's what I heard. I'll, I'll fact check it. In. <laughs> no. 
It's been good. I, I think the canyon, that's what I forget about. I mean, I've been down here many times, but it's been a while. And this is an amazing, this is beautiful. I mean, this is a scenic, like you said, wild and scenic, right? This is the oldest designated wild and scenic section of any river in the state of Oregon. This, huh. this is the original one in this state, made so by state law. That state law became the pattern for the Oregon Omnibus River Act which also became the pattern for the Federal Omnibus River Act. So, oh, wow. so that, uh, that, legal, that legal stuff that happened there has been used as a pattern for making rivers across the United States wild and scenic and protecting them and keeping them in good shape. Yeah. Uh, that's... Oregonians have been at the forefront of a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what, it doesn't hurt anything to take care of things. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Let's see here, what else we got? So we covered the uh, we covered the Larry's, uh, the spade clave a little bit. We got some tips, casting. We, retirement, did we cover your, retire, your retirement plan? It's uh, You're looking at it. Yeah, that's it, this is the retirement plan, <laughs> this is it. So. This is, uh, this is a retirement plan, and the one thing about fly fishing it's something that a person can do into their old age. Yeah. And it keeps a person young. You stay active, your mind's active, you know, your body's active. Uh, you're feeling good about things. I think it just makes you live longer. Yeah. Rowing boats, wading big, big, strong rivers. What, uh, what's been your, um, what, what's one of your vices? Vices? Yeah, do you have a vice? I got a fly time vice. <laughs> You know, I mean, because it doesn't look like you're, you're healthy. You don't look like a person that uh, does a lot of bad stuff. Do you have any? Uh, oh, I've had my days. Yeah. Just like anybody else. What about you? Do you, uh, alcohol? Is that, a, is that something you? Well, I never, I never became an alcoholic. No, you but you're not against drinking, uh, drinking alcohol or beer. I'm not against anything. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, but. I'm trying to get your secret because when I look at you, I think you're probably uh, maybe 60, 65 uh, maybe, but you're. You're you probably better get your glasses adjusted. <laughs> I'll tell you, the thing we got into today, I don't, you know, I mean, that was, uh, you know, I mean, you were pushing off a slimy rock that was not an easy, I know because I was on the rock. Okay, so I do have one big one. So the the 222, I asked the, uh, and then we talked about some of it, but your top two flies, top two tips, and top two resources. So are the flies we're using, do you have two top flies? If you had to pick for Sandy River steelhead, you, you're just kind of the good ones. You well, go. for this time of year, for steelhead and chinooks combined, yeah, it's just awful hard to beat a prom dress. Oh right, and that's what both of your fish came to. Yep, is a blue prom dress, which is mighty good thing to be using. Yep, it's uh, just a, yep. I you know. know, there's there's a zillion different things that a steelhead or a salmon would bite. But yeah. Blue flashy one this time of year okay. is a pretty good bet. And what's the blue flashy this time of year? Just because it's a little bit clearer and... Just because it works. It works. <laughs> well, what's another one that would work other than that? Oh, there's... You know, I've caught... Uh, I've caught... Basically, what I'm fishing for today is anything that bites, but I've been more more slanting my uh, my own rigging to Chinooks. I'm always like, I always like big fish. I like fish that pull backing off a reel. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and almost any of these steelhead that'll be in here this time of year pull backing, plenty of backing off a reel too. But yeah. chinooks are just bigger and stronger. Yeah. And they're more novel. A lot of guys don't realize you can catch chinooks in the lower 48. You know? Right. No kidding. You know, most people spend a lot of money and go to Alaska. That's right. You know, and, yeah. and don't realize there's chinooks right in their own backyard. Yeah. You know, they... They think that you know the common dictum is that you got to use bait to get them. That's and you can catch the, them on flies. Oh yeah. Because that's another thing that I think a lot of people, even though they know they're here, they don't think they'll take flies. That's right. Well, when I started out around here, people didn't believe you could take winter steelhead with a fly. That's now, true. Now it's commonly that's known. That's right. That's true. Yep. You know, half the guys that said it couldn't be done are now claiming they invented it. <laughs> yeah. That's so right. there you go. That's right. All right, and. Uh, how about think of a couple of tips? You've given me a bunch of tips. Any other just general steelhead tips? Anything you can think of that pop your head that might be good for somebody that wants to get their first? Well, just you know, run a fish your fly. If you could, if you could have everything, yeah, and you could do everything perfectly. You'd fish your fly about a foot to eighteen inches off the bottom. Oh, there you go. At current speed or slower, 
anything that comes to a fish at current speed or slower, you know, they don't mind that. They're pretty happy about it. A lot of times they just up and eat it. Yeah. Anything that comes downstream at them faster than the current is the enemy. You know, I think it's because these fish been living out in the Pacific Ocean with orcas and salmon sharks and all kinds of things that think that steelhead are pretty tasty. Right. So if, uh, you know, if it's traveling at a certain speed, it's it's something to eat. And if it's traveling at a different speed, it's something that might eat them. <laughs> so they, they take evasive actions. I've seen steelhead panic because a fly came to them too fast and have little tiny flies run great big steelhead clear out of a pool. Huh. And the other tip I was going to say you told me about earlier was, uh, what what do you call your cast, that little big, that big men, kind of the, it's like a... Well, you turn the tip of your line parallel to the current. Therefore, it has the least amount of frontal area to the current. has the least amount of drag. It uh, is relatively impossible to have the fly come to the fish faster than the current that way and it gets deeper and does everything better yeah yeah it definitely gets deeper what about incidentally i didn't let him film that see so no in order to learn <laughs> that trick you got to come to me that's right yeah we didn't get we're not releasing all the secrets here on today so i'll have uh, links to uh, to all your information in the show notes so you can uh connect with you for the next guide trip um what about what about research so your web website is a resource what would you recommend? Do you have a couple of good resources for steelhead that are out there that might not be necessarily your own? Your well, own? There's, there's several books that are relevant. Yeah. The best book ever written on the subject, I think, is Steelhead Fly Fishing by Trey Cohn. Yeah. I'm only, only suspicious that it's in print. I don't know if it's even in print currently. Right. Uh, Passion for Steelhead by Deck Hogan is, is a good read. Yep, uh, yep. You know, there's any number of things out there. Any any video by Todd Moen, you know, even though none of them are necessarily a uh, tutorial. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll let you know what's going on because they're all real. I know a lot of the guys that have started them things. And, you know, you look at that stuff, it's, it's not only immensely interesting to watch, but it's immensely... Uh, immensely insightful of how the whole situation works as well. This mo mowing stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are amazing. A lot of, a lot of different guys are yeah. involved. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's see what else. Uh, I think that's about it. I've. Uh, what about the next uh, six to 12 months? Anything new? You got You got some trips going? Anything that you want to share that you got coming up? Well, for the next, uh, until about the 20th of June, I'm going to be in some canyon somewhere here around the Willamette Valley yeah. hunting for steelhead and schnooks. Okay. And then uh, the last week in June, first week in July, I'm going to be in the Sea of Cortez chasing dorados and roosterfish and that kind of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back. Who knows what I'm going to do in July? I haven't figured well, it out when yet. When do you start fishing the Deschutes? When do you start guiding I'll, I'll start. I'll start my trips on the Deschutes uh, 1st of August and okay. end up the end of October. And that season is, it's probably two-thirds booked, I suppose. Right. There, there's yep. openings there. Okay. And, uh, All right. and if they want to find openings, uh, the website? Oh, yeah. Fly, uh, FlyFishUSA.com? FlyFishUSA.com. All right. And uh, there's a, a link there called Guide Trips. got a drop-down menu. You can take a look at the calendar and all the different kinds of trips that we do and, yep. and all that stuff. All right. All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's about all I have for you. I want to thank you for the trip. I appreciate you taking me. I mean, from the starting out this morning, buying me breakfast and uh, driving me here and everything. I appreciate the time. Uh, and hopefully, we can get on. You know, do another trip down the line. Yeah, you know, sure. it's been it's been uh, it's crazy. It's been all these years that we haven't really crossed paths either too much. You know, so it's kind of I think that's the great thing about it is that you know you can always start a friendship whenever right it doesn't have to be yeah well good. we started one today all right good yeah. good all right mark well i appreciate it and all uh anybody that connects with me i'll, I'll send them your way and let, let them know for sure and i i want to pick up one of these lines too so you have to hook me up there and all yeah. all right all right good stuff all right see ya <laughs> so there you go 
If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash mark. Head over to uh, wetflyswing.com slash members to find out how to support local companies, this podcast, and your journey at uh, one convenient location. Also at the Society, you can find out a few uh, tips on conservation, some things you can do uh, really easily to make a difference uh, for fish and for the planet. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. Looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.